0: WFAE's David Borax has the story. Tariq Bokhari and Larkin Eggleston call their podcast R&D in the QC. Eggleston says they hope to reach people who may not pay attention to the council. Eggleston is 35 and a Democrat. Bokhari is a 37-year-old Republican. Despite their political differences, they bonded on the campaign trail, in part over their beards, says Bokhari.
1: The beards themselves are what truly united us in the beginning. They hope to be an
0: example of how to debate productively across the political divide
2: episode 52, we're in Raleigh for the annual strategy retreat. We talk with future city attorney Patrick Baker, North Carolina Secretary of Commerce Anthony Copeland, and North Carolina Governor Roy Cooper.
1: That's right, folks. Episode 52, the Raleigh Retreat, our second retreat that we've now been on, Larkin. What do you think now that it's all done and we're actually um, back in Charlotte looking back on a long, long, long three days?
2: They were long, and, and folks, every year, whether it's the city, county, or whoever, um, and the county just had theirs last week in Greensboro, take issue with the fact that we go out of town. And I understand people want us to be good stewards of tax dollars, and we want to be good stewards of tax dollars. Um, but the work that was done and the time that was spent, uh, as we were held hostage in this hotel, uh, for three straight days, literally only leaving once, um, could not have been accomplished. We left
1: once to get that your, your Kobe steak,
2: right? (laughs) Right. Um, (laughs) not exactly. So, it, it couldn't have been accomplished in Charlotte. People would have been cutting out. They'd have been running home to do something. They'd have been late getting there. They'd have been early leaving. The fact of the matter is when you are – There were still some people late getting there. Well, when you're sequestered <laughs> together, it's it's kind of like an episode of Real World uh, when you put 12 people in a hotel for three days and you hope they don't kill each other. But we got a lot done. We, we had long stretches of, of those three days to talk about everything from – our affordable housing strategy to transportation of what our top priorities are for the, this year and the next three years. Uh, and I think there was a lot of value in having it in Raleigh. Not only were we able to engage with the mayor of Raleigh, secretary of commerce for the state, but we were able to see the governor and we were able to see 16 of our 17 members of the Mecklenburg delegation in the North Carolina House and North Carolina Senate. And I think that dinner we had with them really did help a lot of people in council and, and on the in the general assembly from mecklenburg that didn't know each other start to form relationships
1: and part of you know i think as is i'm thinking back on the week i think one of the coolest experiences for me someone who will never run for state legislature right is this overlapped with their first day back um the first day of the new of the new um legislative session so after that dinner we actually got to go and experience what like um it reminded me of faber college a little bit of these legislators all coming back in town and everyone kind of getting ready for the next session so one that was a cool experience but two um it got it got us the opportunity to talk about some of our priorities with folks so um let's just do two things to to close out kind of our intro session one we all through a straw vote voted on our top four priorities it's really three plus one ongoing one uh, that we all agreed on some of them are high and vague but let's just I'll, I'll list them and then you and then you give one sentence of color commentary um one was economic development I, i'll hit that one since i was in the working group for there we actually sat down and executed for the first time in the whole last year, in my, in my experience here, um, uh, some more tactical like whiteboarding of what are we going to do for the next two months? And we're really focusing on some workforce development stuff. We're focusing on the business investment grant and overhauling it. We're focusing on the, um, uh, the uh, smaller business and entrepreneurship and kind of an accelerator approach and uh, great places looking at opportunity zones. So that that's one area there. Another one was uh, uh, neighborhoods, right? W- weren't you part of that group? I
2: was part of the transportation
1: breakout group. Um,
2: to put a bow on, on your economic development thing, one of the things that I think – Uh, You mentioned you guys had a chance to talk about all that stuff. One of the things that I think is still very unclear to a lot of us and we are going to be talking about more at our meeting on Monday are the opportunity zones. We had a very short timeline when we were asked to kind of sign off on the opportunity zones that were chosen for Charlotte. These are disinvested areas of our city. I think there's 17 census tracts where um, people will be able to invest money in them and use that uh, for certain tax breaks over the next 10 or 15 years. This
1: conversation over the last week on this topic just was baffling to me. Like everyone's like, we need more capital. We need the private sector to step up. And, but when they do, and when this opportunity comes, which maybe there's some risk there, right? But the, it's not like I felt like everyone was like discussing like some kind of like so, so the fact that somebody got cancer. <laughs> it, it's not a bad thing.
2: No, well, there's a couple of concerns. I think one is that it could uh, that it could speed up gentrification in certain areas, which it certainly could. So we need to be mindful of that. The other was I and I sensed that some people were saying. Does someone have to?
1: Everything speeds up gentrification that we do. I mean, that's like it's always glasses half empty. Well, no matter what the topic is around here, it feels like that doesn't mean you can't
2: be mindful of it and try to mitigate it. To sure
1: up. that maybe that's our one job in opportunity zones. How do we set it up where we make sure that everyone gets to benefit from from these things that taxpayers are ultimately giving relief for those in capital gains. Um, Shelters essentially.
2: The other thing is, I think people wanted to make sure that someone can't just purchase a property in this opportunity zone, sit on it, and not do anything with it for 10 or 15 years and still reap those same tax benefits. That's a
1: good question because that that, that
2: would be kind of like skirting the system. I, I think what we hoped when this initially came out was that it was people activating inactive sites or better utilizing underutilized sites. And so if someone can just come in and essentially shelter their money in a site and leave it dormant for 10 or 15 years, that actually will slow the progress in certain areas that need investment. So totally, I think there's just a lot of things that are unclear about those. We're going to get some more on that.
1: Let's breeze through the other ones. What what, was transportation? transportation, transportation,
2: We talked a lot about making sure um, that we have, and and we looked at kind of a three-year timeline. We want to make sure that we continue to to push forward on our 2030 transit plan there's now discussions along uh, around extending the blue line from uh where it ends at 485 and south boulevard through pineville to ballantyne potentially sounds cheap we um the city has come out and said that we will not be pursuing the option of a tunnel to bring the silver line through uptown but would be going around the north side of 277 connecting into the gateway station Uh, we talked a lot about the gateway station and um, and talked about not only completing phase two of the streetcar, but figuring out uh, what we're looking at with phase three of the streetcar down the road. So uh, there's a lot there. We talked about the Cross Charlotte Trail, which has obviously been a hot topic of late, and um, and we talked about in that same transportation and planning round completing the UDO, uh, completing TOD or um, implementing things like we've talked about with vision zero and, and neighborhood traffic calming So
1: do you see why I was frustrated though? Like at the end and we moved to this it, I think in our breakout group in economic development it was me smudgy um, uh, uh, Harlow and dimple and We actually got very tactical a tactical two-month plan for us as the members of the, these committees and things like that I feel like one, we've needed to do that for a while, but two, the other groups—you got that list you made. That's like a huge list of things. Like we need to get tactical. I'm not saying we need to be staff. We're a board, but our, if we're going to be in committees, they don't need to be little city councils. And I feel like in, in transportation, while you guys probably did better than, than the average, it still fell in that trap. I think a four, the housing and neighborhood things was the same. It's like these are like more like campaign talking points. It's it's how do you give staff specific policy direction of what to do when to bring it back so it doesn't take 12 months to make a decision on something simple like scooters
2: well a lot of it was policy that's already been set or already been made and it's it's pushing staff to implement it quickly so vision zero neighborhood traffic calming uh, phase two of the streetcar that's already well underway construction wise and our 2030 transit plan these are things these are decisions that have been many of them have been made and now it's about Pushing to implement them more quickly and get them completed more quickly.
1: So, in the essence of time, there was one. I, the fourth one I mentioned was was kind of like a, accountability and in governance or whatever that topic was, which um, I've been pushing hard for a more horizontal approach to. Council and staff functions versus a vertical silo, fiefdom, mini city councils, as well as a portfolio performance report, so we can see things like the Cross Charlotte Trail or the performance of NASCAR Hall of Fame. But in the essence of time, maybe we could, because those are big topics, and we learned some big things for the manager as well um, of other capital projects that are that are scary. Maybe we carry that one over to next week's episode and spend a little time on that, and just uh, and just move now into the great special guests we got to hear from
2: well and, and you mentioned the housing one we didn't really touch on a big part of that discussion we literally spent the entire first day monday talking about housing just about and lisk was um a big part of that oh, discussion yeah. so there was let's add
1: Lisk to the list to talk about next week because yeah. that was another uh, slightly controversial one
2: yeah i mean i think there were just a lot of questions and so i, I i'm glad that people ask questions i'm glad that people want to turn over every stone i think this is going to be a good partner for us to help us maximize our return on investment with these dollars. They're going to bring dollars to the table and investments to the table and programs to the table that we wouldn't be able to do on our own. Uh, so I think they will be a good partner and part of a larger uh, strategy around housing and neighborhood development.
1: All right, so let's listen. To, let's, let's drop in uh, breaking news. We'll drop into a couple on-scene um, interviews and and discussions that we had. Let's start with Governor Roy Cooper, we had the ability to listen uh, to him speak to us kind of in a, in a small group of folks. Um, and I normally wouldn't do it, but there were press in the room, so I went ahead and just hit record on my phone so we could, uh, so could kind of share this with our listeners so they could hear what we got to hear in that room as well. Um, it was a long thing, so we'll break it down into three segments. Let's listen to the first one where he talks about Medicare.
0: The second thing that I think is just critical is Medicaid expansion. We have the opportunity here to draw down four billion dollars a year in federal tax money that we've already paid to Washington that can come and be invested here. If you don't even think about this as a health care project, it's an economic development project because it's going to bring between 30 and 40,000 new good paying jobs. Is going to insure five to six hundred thousand people that don't have health insurance now. Embarrassingly, in North Carolina, thirty thousand veterans are have no health care coverage, and with expansion of Medicaid, twenty-three thousand of those thirty thousand veterans will be covered. In thirty-seven states that have expanded Medicaid, their private insurance pay. Those premiums are being positively affected, 7% in some areas, because when you remove indigents from the Mm rolls, you make healthcare costs better for everyone. And then on top of that, law enforcement will tell you they spend a lot of time dealing with people with mental health issues, substance use disorder. This will help law enforcement because we will be able to get those people into treatment where they need to be instead of jails, where law enforcement knows that they aren't doing anything good there. And to top it all off, the hospitals have agreed to cover the 10% state match. Okay. So here we have this opportunity to leverage this great thing for our city. Uh Governor John Kasich of, of Ohio said, quote, thank God if we expanded Medicaid. Their opioid overdose deaths have been decreased in the city of Dayton by 54% since they expanded Medicaid. So this is a win-win-win. We're going to have to negotiate with the Republican leadership some regarding how we set up a North Carolina plan, but anything you can do to push your legislative delegation, this, this is one of the most important steps that we can make to improve our economy, to improve our health, and it leverages money that we can get right now. Uh, When I present it to chambers of commerce and can talk to business people for about 10 to 15 minutes, they will look at you and say, Why haven't we done this? Mm -hmm. It makes common sense and it makes it
1: so. Larkin, I have some problems with this. Uh, what were your thoughts? Because clearly, him. A lot of the Democrats and some Republicans in the General Assembly and really the nation as a whole is talking about the whole Medicare expansion and states getting more involved. What's your take first? And then I'll then I'll tell you why you're wrong.
2: Well, I'm not wrong. And the fact of the matter is, it's not a partisan issue. It's something that uh, John Kasich, as the governor mentioned in Ohio, expanded. It's something that I believe Chris Christie in New Jersey expanded. So this is not uh, Medicaid expansion in North Carolina is something that would not only create a ton of jobs, but it would create a ton of jobs and it would save hospitals often in rural areas where that might be one of the bigger employers. And so for us to deny essentially bringing back tax dollars that we've already sent to Washington to help people in our state be healthier, to help create jobs and really, almost disproportionately help preserve and save some of the rural hospitals that are closing now for the lack of those funds and the lack of that ability, um, I think is a no brainer. It's something, like I said, that has had multiple states uh, with Republican leadership support it as well as Democrats. So I hope that this new General Assembly will support the governor in doing that. There was a bill, uh, we are standing here on Friday, there was a bill put forward yesterday, Thursday, uh, to that effect and and I hope that it will have the support it needs.
1: Can I go ahead and dissect everything you've just said and completely break it down
2: as long as you do it quickly
1: here? So quickly one cost right it, this from a cost perspective. It is uh, highly um, Fluid in that it's very hard to predict year over year. It changes and you mentioned Ohio. Well, Ohio is a great example Kasich himself said um, one I can't ex- expect d- don't expect the feds to come in and save us and two they expected to spend $13 billion over seven years. They're five years in and they're $19 billion. So the costs are widely underestimated. It represents 16% of North Carolina's state budget, second only to what happens in education. And for us to think that it's not going to happen that way here. The feds have said they're going to cover ninety percent, but even Kasich says don't expect that. Don't that will change as soon as purse strings tighten up there. So what's going to happen? That's going to either force us to raise taxes or cut other spending. And I think what's going to ultimately happen is school school construction is going to uh, is going to uh, um, get hurt from that, and um, taxing is going to go up, and our business friendly environment is going to change. Those jobs you said that it's going to create, I think I heard 30,000 plus, they use very rudimentary metrics to come up with that, like they do for how many people are in the CIAA membership here when the NBA um, championship games or whatever come. So I I don't believe the the numbers there any more than I believe the cost estimates. And finally, and I think this is the most important point, this problem needs to be solved. Don't think I'm heartless and and don't care about it. I'm saying this is trying to be solved on – the uh, Supply side, right? It's they're attempting to solve it on the demand side by throwing more money at it. This whole system needs to be Broken down and changed because the cost the inner billing the entire medical profession right now is totally screwed up with insurance And and medicare and things of that nature That's where everyone should be focusing their effort not putting a band-aid on a broken system and, and spending taxes there so We'll get into that more. Uh, clearly, I won that one. Um, let's listen to a little bit more of Cooper talking about the Panthers, the stadium, and then maybe a few of our questions that we asked.
0: Him. So we're going to be working on many other things uh, this session, but also have been looking at what you guys have put on your agenda, and want to work with you. We got it. We the Panthers are an important part. Uh, The economy, not only of of the Charlotte area but of North Carolina, so we're going to be supportive of that. You know, we continue to fight discrimination, the repeal of House Bill Two. we will get to go celebrate the NBA All Star Game. I I wonder if you're going to sue up. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) I will be there. I will be there, and we're going to continue to work on making sure we send the signal across the country and across the globe that North Carolina is open for business. You know, we're celebrating a lot of positive things, moving the Fortune 100 company Honeywell right. to Charlotte. Uh, a big deal for our city. And I'll say our city because I, I feel like I'm a part of this effort with you. So, I appreciate your sacrifice because being in local government is hard. It's hard work. And you've got to with your constituents <laughs> at the grocery store <laughs> and in church <laughs> and they will all tell you what and they on what their they mind yes. Yes. so it's a it's a face to face kind of thing and it is sometimes a thankless task. So, so I don't know if do you have time for a question or comment or anything? from us or Bruno? <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you turn it over to him, then <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's may the door. <laughs> I, will do a, I will do a cackle with Thank you guys. you.
1: How excited like about that. fintech are
0: you? <laughs> you know, fintech is, is taking off and it, it, the state and the cities that get the fact that workforce is number one on the agenda yes. of businesses, those are the states and cities that are going to succeed. And as I taught the CEO after CEO, everybody has open jobs. Everybody. And if we can just train our people up to to fill those jobs, uh, it's going to be a positive result for for us. So, you know, what's happening at UNC Charlotte, what's happening over at the community college, good work with, with these businesses in trying to train people cannot forget the investments in education. It comes back many-fold. And so I, I think that you know, we need to hold the line on these corporate tax cuts, the tax cuts for the wealthy, and instead invest in education, healthcare, and moving us forward. And I think businesses are coming to that point where you've got tech CEOs that are lobbying the General Assembly for pre-K funding. I mean, they're, they're yes. beginning to get what this is all about and, and making sure
1: we got a good work Alright, so that was Cooper uh, Lay out for the last two segments who we're going to hear from, Larkin
2: So we had mentioned in a past episode or two that we had hired Patrick Baker uh, current city attorney of Durham to come and join the city of Charlotte as our new city attorney after Bob Hageman's retirement. He came and joined us for part of our uh, annual strategy retreat this week, and we grabbed him during a break to have a little chat with him to familiarize our listeners with the soon-to-be, in mid-March, Charlotte city attorney. So here's Patrick Baker.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. Larkin, tell us what, what we're into.
2: So we are about halfway through with the first day of our annual retreat down here in Raleigh, and uh, so it is Monday afternoon, and we have, have got a visitor today. He doesn't officially start working for the city of Charlotte until March eleventh. So he's he's like not getting paid. He's here
1: not getting paid.
2: I think he's actually still getting paid by Durham. So uh, hopefully, no one from Durham listens Ooh, to our podcast. Uh, maybe he took the day off today. We'll let him figure that part he out.
1: Took
2: off, he took the day off. He <laughs> says, uh, "Mr. Patrick Baker, we have we did an interview." maybe two months ago, a bit of an exit interview with our friend Bob Hageman, the outgoing city attorney. He retired. Uh, We have Ms. Hope Root right now as our interim city attorney, but as of March 11th, Mr. Baker will be joining us in Charlotte. He's the current city attorney in Durham. So Patrick, tell us a little a little bit and tell our listeners a little bit about your background, how you got to this point and what made you
3: excited to take on the challenge of being the new city attorney in Charlotte. Sure. So, First of all, thanks for having me on the podcast. I was listening to the podcast yesterday, uh, took the fire chief about nine months to get here mm-hmm. and uh, I guess I get here before I even get started. You salt so in uh, the wound. I, you're already <laughs> off to a bad
2: foot with the fire chief
3: now. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll make it up to him. Uh, so I've been in uh, local government for 22 years, uh, I've had a, uh, an, a bit of an interesting career, not a typical uh, uh, path that, that people take. I was assistant city attorney from 1997 to 2004, was the city manager from 2004 to 2008, and then became city attorney and have served in that capacity since 2008. So a little bit of an unusual uh, turn, um, but uh, certainly with uh, the things that I've done, it's, it's a wide variety of things. Uh, a good bit of my uh, tenure as both city manager and city attorney occurred at a point in time where there was significant renaissance going on in Durham. Durham's a very different community than it was in 1997 when I got started and just happy to, to uh, play a role in uh, in that change. Um, so so getting to your question of, of why change now, um, you know, after 22 years in Durham, um, you know, and, and I'm 51 years old, uh, there's still some opportunities out there for me. Uh, when the position first came up and Bob Hageman made me aware of it, I told him, you know, I'm good. I like what I'm doing in Durham. Uh, but over the course of time, I started to think maybe I was ready for one more challenge. And I've been uh, fortunate in my career to have had some some really good challenges coming Right about the time when I was ready for something new, um, and as I went through the interview process, I really felt like this was a this is really the only city that I would I would consider uh, going to. Um, it's it's difficult for lawyers to you can go across state lines, but for the most part, municipal law is a product of state law, so I'm really limited to North Carolina. And from my perspective, from Durham, Charlotte's the only community that I would have ever considered. So
1: going through this process, I think a couple things jumped out at me. One was that exact point where. It, you know, look. we could we were told we can look outside of North Carolina, but clearly, you know, somebody with expertise in North Carolina municipal law is is hands down going to be going to be hard to beat. And also the fact that Charlotte for the city attorney position kind of is, you know, the bigs or whatever from that perspective. So um, talk just for a little bit more about how. Um, municipal city attorneys view the Charlotte role, but also a bit about your your reputation. Because the other thing that jumped out at me was um, everybody, hands down, that we had a lot of good candidates apply for this that we, we vetted and went through. You were kind of this shining star. Everyone just had so much Good to say about it. How, how did you build that reputation?
3: Well, uh, that's something that, that uh, takes a lot of time and energy, uh, but but really making the most of those opportunities uh, when they come. I think um, from the public sector in particular, uh, you need to be in it for the right reasons. If it's about self-aggrandizement, about making yourself the uh, the center of attention, particularly in these administrative uh, positions, uh, you'll probably end up with a fairly short career. So, uh, so, so being useful, uh, I think, is is always helpful. Uh, being being smart, uh, doing good work, but. Never taking yourself too seriously like you're the center uh, of attention and everything needs to go through you i've just been so humbled and honored to have had the opportunities uh to to build my community uh in durham and i'm equally humbled and honored to to have the opportunity to come here uh to charlotte uh, as well so i've spent a decent amount of time in durham my
2: wife lived there for a decade its reputation when i was growing up in the triad in winston-salem to what it is today the transformation in durham has probably been as as incredible as any place in North Carolina over the last two three decades what is it that you think enabled Durham to have that sort of a transformation and get to the place that it is now and it's, it's so much more vibrant and successful what are the similarities you see between Durham
3: and Charlotte and what challenges do you think you'll be facing for the first time coming to a city our size? Sure, sure. I would say, um, and, and and that's a really good question because I think you're going to get different answers from, from Durham uh, residents. Uh, from I can speak from 97 to today. Uh, back in 99, I think there was a significant consternation about that particular city council. We had a 13-person council, which meant that um, you didn't necessarily need to get a, a, a large block of voters to get on council. Uh, so it was difficult to get everybody working together at times. Um, when that council went from 13 to 7, uh, you ended up with, um, I don't know if mainstream is the right uh, uh, word, uh, but you ended up with, I, th- I think, a higher quality of, of candidate uh, to be able to uh, to, to gather all- that many uh, numbers.
1: Very of interesting. <laughs> but are you recommending that we go down this route in Charlotte?
3: I am not recommending anything. Are right? you uh, sure? Because that's kind of what day, I'm hearing. Is that, is that how we can get rid of TARC? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, we keep District 6, but we just add on a few more.
3: I, I will just say that things changed Um, both at the time uh, that we downsized the the council and then the people that came on board. Um, I I have to go back to Bill Bell, uh, who's a legend in municipal government. He became mayor in 2001 and was the first mayor of that seven-person council. And his leadership and then the uh, the council members that came on board were really uh, vested in the future of Durham. I I always felt like Durham was an underperforming community, but the resources were always there. I mean, you're talking about Duke University, North Carolina Central, the, the hospitals that we have. Out there were in the triangle. I mean, there were a ton of, uh, of resources there that most communities don't have. Uh, and, and once we could kind of get out of our out of our own way and really start focusing on things. Um, I think that really was was the impetus to get the investment uh, that was needed to come in the community and to get people to really care about uh, about Durham. It's a it's a different community. It's a we've got these T-shirts. Durham. It's not for everyone, and it's it's not for <laughs> everyone. Um, but for the people that that are there, uh, we, we really love it. And um, and we really started um, you know that more forward thinking as opposed to just chasing every rabbit that came around. Really, that strategic planning. Uh, and I have to go back to the leadership of Bill Bell. I mean that made it a a, a significant um, uh, focal point with those councils going forward, and that really changed the tide of the uh, the community.
1: There have been some fairly high-profile challenges in that area as well. How has that shaped you?
3: So that um, you know, when I became city manager, uh, it was at a point in time where the uh, uh, the city manager before me and the council, the relationship had just devolved to the point where uh, it was no longer workable. Uh, the community uh, was was against uh, what was going on in city hall as well. So um, I think there was a method to the madness, but but for a, for an assistant city attorney with zero management experience to go into that hot crucible uh, was uh, was a was a bit of a challenge. But it made a lot of sense to me because as as an attorney, we're used to kind of bringing things together and trying to find um, uh, that, um, uh, that that order out of the disorder. I mean, that's a big part of what we do. And I really felt like those skills were particularly needed at that time in 2004 uh, to stop the he- the, the, the hemorrhaging of, of great talent from our organization and then to get the community behind us as well. Uh, in 2004, we started to, to talk about floating a, a substantial bond referendum, and the, the feedback that we got from the, the, the surveys were, no, not, not at this time and they don't trust this, uh, this organization. Uh, in 2005, it was my task. Here's the job. And oh, by the way, $110 million bond referendum. I was 35 at the time. Go get it, big guy. And, uh, and we got it. We had eight bonds. Uh, we separated them all out so people could pick and choose which ones they wanted and all eight passed. And that really set the tone for, um, you know, making sure that people understood that we're going to do what we say. You know, I was listening to some of the conversations about CIP planning and, and and making sure that if you promise you're going to do something, um, you know, you do it uh, at the time that you you say you're going to do it, and that was our issue as well. We were we had a really difficult time of uh, of getting projects done on time and on budget. And once we started doing those, then then everybody else started paying attention. Duke University started paying attention. Uh, other uh, entities, other private entities. You're referring
1: to uh, project code name Operation Dumpster Fire, I think. So, Larkin, do you have any other questions? I got I got one more
2: serious one for you, and then two quick fun ones. Oh. The serious one with uh, you you have sat through. The first half of today uh, i'm sure you've been uh, leading up to the interviews for the job but then certainly since you knew you got the job looking at the landscape of the issues that we're dealing with in charlotte what are one or two that you feel Really equipped from your past experience to come in and help us deal with immediately. And what are one or two that you're looking at saying that's never really something that Durham's dealt with before? And I'm going to have to start to educate myself on that topic.
3: Mm-hmm. So, uh, in terms of things that I've seen before, you know, the affordable housing is something that we're we're in the middle of right now. So, uh, and that uh, expanding the the economic opportunities to more than just uh, uh, the, um, the the wealthiest in the community, but really expanding that opportunity out to the rest of your community is something that. We're working on right now, and has been a um, uh, a very important issue. What I love to hear, um, and what I heard today, and, and what our council has always been is, you know, we're. You mentioned Durham and, and the changes, and, and how uh, strong it's been now. But no one's satisfied with it. They want to do better. And I heard 12 voices of, "We want to do better." I never heard anybody saying, "You know, Charlotte's great. Everybody wants to come here, and let's just sit back on our laurels." I, I was telling one of the council members. I mean, if that was the case, you really wouldn't need me. Um, uh, you can, you know, if you, if you want to do this. Self-aggrandizing part. You don't. You don't need me there. I, I, I want to be where where people are trying to uh, uh, make their community better, and, and that's the the, the energy that, that I that I got this morning. I, I really I really like that a lot. All right, my two fun questions. The first one's just
2: a one-word answer. Uh, the second one will be a little longer. I don't know if our friend Bob Hageman still listens to the podcast. I have to hope he does. I'm assuming
1: he does. (laughs) This joke
2: is going to fall flat for most of our listeners. But you've known Bob for a long time. You've known the other gentleman I'm going to reference, I'm sure, uh, in some capacity. On a scale of 1 to 10, how much does Bob Hageman look like David Rudolph? Oh, um... (laughs) I'd say an eight and a half, nine. Yes. Yeah. So Bob is going to be really mad at both of us. Uh, I'm showing Tark a picture of him now. Oh yeah, that is. Uh, yeah. That looks like. Bob. So we'll, we'll we'll explain that I hadn't later. of that, but yeah, that's Yeah. Style, no, that's now you'll, you'll never that. be able to unsee right. it. Uh, I watched the staircase. My wife and I watched the staircase on Netflix the whole time. I just couldn't stop seeing Bob, and when I told him that, I thought he'd think it was funny. He was highly offended, is uh, apparently not a fan of David Rudolph, and uh, has never forgiven
1: me. Good, so you've lost our entire audience now. What's your second question, Larkin? (laughs) The second question is,
2: uh, our new city attorney has a son in the greater Charlotte area, Mm. so for the last segment of this, uh, the last portion of this segment, we'll go into our sports report. Mm. He is an athlete in the greater Charlotte area. Tell us a little bit about uh, where he is and what he's doing and where people can
3: go and witness his skills. That's a great question. Um, First, before I answer that, I have to start with my daughter, who's at Wake Forest, a freshman. I never want to leave her out of the conversation. Mm. She's doing a great job there. She's sort of the artist and musician in the family. Uh, My son Griffin uh, Baker is a uh, junior at Belmont Abbey. In fact, they open their season uh, Friday at four o'clock at Abbey Yard. He's the opening day starter. Uh, So if you've got some time to get out there, uh, four o'clock on friday um i will say to you and i have to brag about him a little bit um last year he threw a no hitter um and it was uh, uh, he walked one batter and that batter was erased on a double play so we faced the minimum uh was the national pitcher of the week that particular week apparently no one threw as good a no hitter as he did uh that Hey, coming
1: from somebody who's done that before i'm telling you it's hard yes.
3: I, I doubt <laughs> you. Know, what kind of heat's he throwing uh, he's topping out at about 93 and he's a lefty um so and he's a big kid he's about six two two twenty 220, two twenty five um so we're expecting some uh, some big things uh from him it's as it get, as it's cold you know the the, the velo is not going to be quite there yet but as uh, we get to uh, march and april uh, i think you'll see that velo uh, well, that,
1: that's the same exact uh yeah. stats for larkin yes yeah that, that's exact larkin's exact Actually, stats I, except I, he's not six two he's like five two i
2: have more i have more velo when it's cold though because when i get overheated you know my velo drops right off a cliff
1: all right so what uh what what what, what can we expect a uh, final question what can we expect from you in 2019 as you get your feet under you that might be different than what we've experienced with Bob
3: so the first thing I'm going to do is, is come in and kind of assess what's going on. I, I want to spend some time with council members to get a sense as to uh, what your interests are in the community. And uh, and I'll spend a lot of time uh, with Marcus Jones as well uh, to make sure that I can be helpful to him. I think my, my time as a as city manager has definitely uh, given me as city attorney uh, an understanding of what, what the administration's going through. So I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, with him to get a sense as to uh, what his uh, 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 goals and interests are uh, to be able to, to help um, in, in that regard. And I'm just looking forward to, uh, to getting to know the community. It's a, it's a fresh start for me. I'm excited about it. I and mean, people ask me, you know, with everything you know in Durham, you know, why would you leave? And it was just, you know, the opportunity to, to, to you know, another challenge. And this is something that I haven't done before uh, in terms of leaving uh, a community that I know very well uh, to start all over again. But I, I think the first six months, I'm going to do a lot of listening and try to uh, assess some things, but also uh, uh, to try to, um, to impart my personality into the discourse.
2: Well, we appreciate you joining us the first time on the podcast, but it certainly won't be your last. We'll have plenty to talk about up on the 15th floor when you get there in March. So uh, good luck finishing out your time in Durham. We're excited to have you coming our way, and we're glad you're here today to to get up to speed on a lot of the issues that we're really digging into in 2019. So thanks for being here. Look forward to working with you down in Charlotte, and uh, we'll have you on again soon.
3: Thanks for your time. I appreciate it.
1: All right, buddy. And finally, we got to talk for a a brief minute or two with uh, the uh, Secretary of Commerce. Um, He got to present to us. What did you learn from that, Larkin?
2: So Anthony Copeland came and talked to us, touched a little bit on, in in his speech to us as a group, touched a little bit on the success that we had in Charlotte with a lot of the big job announcements that we've talked about uh, back in December. As as James Mitchell says, a December to remember. Mm. Uh, So we grabbed Secretary Anthony Copeland. I think that's my quote. I think that's a smudgy quote. It sounds like it. Um, Yeah, it definitely sounds like a smudgy quote. We grabbed him out in the hallway after, uh, as he was leaving, and got in a couple quick questions with Secretary Anthony Copeland from North Carolina Department of Commerce.
1: All right, welcome back to the podcast. Live from the retreat, Larkin, who we got? Special guest. We do. Just spoke to
2: us at our retreat. North Carolina Secretary of Commerce, Mr. Anthony Copeland. Welcome on to the show.
1: Thank you. All right. So what do you got, Larkin? One question.
2: So you talked about a couple things in there, but the urban rural divide kept coming up as and you were in Charlotte several times in December to announce some big uh, corporate relocations or retentions, jobs expanding. And, and a lot of those jobs in North Carolina and all across the country are moving away from rural areas into urban areas where there's the infrastructure, where there's the trained workforce. How do we make sure that we can work with our rural neighbors so that our prosperity is their prosperity and, and it doesn't come at their expense? Well, let me just start off with one fact. I believe about over 50% of your workforce commutes from outside of Mecklenburg County. Mm. So, number one, you're providing a lot of economic benefit to to the surrounding area. But I think it's incumbent on the state to work with those local areas, including you, um, to develop that workforce in those other counties. If you heard me mention about what we're doing with Ramp East with bringing eight community colleges in to create a curriculum to create 3,000 jobs for an area that needs them, I think we need – this is going to be a prototype, and we should look at that in various areas of the state, not only there.
1: One last question for you. Um, obviously, a lot of big wins in uh, December to remember, right, uh, with Honeywell and Lending Tree and Avid Exchange. Um, you know, what is your team going to be working on uh, in 2019 uh, with, a, with a heavy focus, and what are some, uh, some things we might be able to expect?
2: I hope you expect more of the same.
1: Yes. Yes. All right. Well, that's good enough. We appreciate you being on the show. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed the retreat edition. We do this every year that we're elected. We'll talk to you next time.